Amy Shaw is a photographer and woman of many talents. In this episode, you will hear from one of the best automotive photographers in the world. I'm sure you know who Amy is, but I am certain you haven't heard her like this. Amy has worked for OEMs and significant events like Goodwood and many, many more. You'll understand what it takes to get to that level, the battle she's had with discrimination, money and her personal life to convince the world that she is more than capable of doing the job required. So by the end of this episode, you will have a clear idea of what it's like to reach the very top of the automotive photography ladder. So if you've been listening to the podcast for a while now, each month the podcast has a sponsor that I love and I believe helps the car community. And this month's sponsor does precisely that. I've been a big fan of Fuel for quite some time now, especially when it comes to working out. And I've got some exciting news to share with all of you. I recently discovered Huel's ready-to-drink meal, and it's a total game-changer. Not only is it delicious, but I'm a big fan of the chocolate flavour, and I'm a bigger fan of the 26 essential vitamins and minerals you need to go about your day. And let me tell you, it came in super handy during a recent 24-hour trip to a certain German racing track. Instead of eating unhealthy petrol station food, Huel kept me energised and focused on and off track. So if you are on the hunt for a quick and easy meal option, go to huel.com forward slash ignition to receive your free t-shirt and shaker and support the podcast. Now, back to the episode. It's okay to talk, right? Well, Tacona is a brand that's changing mental health awareness. I have always been one that's found it hard to talk and that my feelings, well, they weren't exactly best spoken. Once I found Tacona and learned more about what Lewis does, I was amazed that a clothing brand is making people aware just with one simple logo. If you see a Tacona t-shirt, a shirt, a cap, a hat, a sticker, whatever it is, you know that person knows it's okay to talk. And because they want to help spread the message, Tacona is giving us 10% off. So if you listen to this podcast, in the show notes below will be a link to the website. And if you use code Ignition10, you get 10% off store-wide products. So... Enjoy. I liked the idea of having immediate art. Great thing about photography, you take a picture and immediately you have your results. So it's immediate serotonin of the creativity kind. And it was my avenue to freedom. Everything I've ever learned how to do in terms of photography has been through trial and error and Googling. I have no official qualifications in photography at all. I didn't think I was worth that. I didn't think I was worth anything to them. So it was such a heartwarming thing to have that phone call and be like, oh, I have value. On the other spe- side of the spectrum, I got asked this last week. Oh, yeah, I said, no, I'm a photographer. Oh, is that your full-time job? And to me, that question is doubting my ability to do it. If I was a bloke, would you have asked me that? On the flip side, I did a shoot for uh, Alpine with their A110. Wicked, let's do that. And so I had full creative control on that one. And it was much more of a teamwork thing rather than a you do that because I think it's best kind of attitude. You're not going to fit every single right job for everybody trying to understand what you value in life is the key to having a decent one amy you were once described in an article i read as a modern jane austen how does that feel oh my goodness i think that's a recent article it is, yes. <laughs> um it's um an absolute uh flattery um but i don't know if you're the same but i struggle with compliments and like on on a on my own podcast on the, the driven podcast um they were talking about an award that I've, I've i've won recently and i felt really uncomfortable hearing it so i was like oh change let's change the subject so um i don't i don't really know why i don't know if it's a generation thing i don't know if it's a woman thing but um yeah talking about my achievements feels a bit too egocentric so i tend to move on from them so to be complimented as 
modern day Jane Austen seems it feels weird feels I feel uncomfortable letting those words come out my mouth for a start so uh, yeah but no very flattering <laughs> no, this is a lot about you and your art doesn't it I guess because it is most people see photography is well most exposure to photography is people walking around car meets taking photos that's the that is the what people I like is the modern car photography is now everyone picks up a camera goes around a car meet starts taking photos and calls himself a photographer which I guess is correct but for me it's you know it's more than that you like you say you've been doing this for quite a while but where, where, did, yeah. where did where did it start? Like, what was the what was the first inkling of I like taking pictures of things? Well, so I've been doing the job for ten years, but I've probably been photographing uh, what I would consider properly and actually making an effort to take pictures since I was sixteen, maybe. So, like, yeah, teenager. Um, I just quite like I'm, I'm I call myself an impatient artist because I've always been into art. I've always been into what I thought was like fine art or something like that. And then when I was at university, I uh, learned how to be a metalsmith or like a jeweler, um, which was my, my, my thing that I, I got taught. Um, I got taught terribly. So I, I'm really bad at it. Um, and then, but I liked the idea of having immediate art. And so working with metals was something I liked because you could probably go into the workshop and come out the same day with something. Um, Whereas if you're into like glass or ceramics, which what some of my um, yeah, but my friends were, then it'd be like days, days later, and I, I just was too impatient. And then the great thing about photography, and especially digital photography, you take a picture, and immediately you have your results. So it's immediate serotonin of the creativity kind. Um, and I thought, oh, I like that. <laughs> so, but um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't actually think that being a photographer was a realistic job opportunity. So I never really bothered. Um, I just kind of took pictures of the fun, fun of it, and uh, spent the very last of my student loan on a nice camera because I thought, well, I could make a bit of money at weekends doing some weddings, I guess, because, you know, some older friends were starting to get married and I was like, eh, I could, you know, get a couple of hundred quid or whatever. Um, but I mean, my, my dad was a, did, the, did that exact thing. He had a full-time job and then did wedding photography, like, sporadically, like, once, twice, three times a year for his mates or something like that. Um and then I just started going to a couple of these weddings with him because people wanted cheap wedding photography and my dad didn't charge enough. And then I was like, hey, dad, you need to charge more because you're doing quite a good job and you probably need to charge more than 250 quid. And then he was, like, oh, I don't know. So I just said, well, you know, next next meeting we have, this is 16, 17 year old Amy's doing this. I'm like, I'll take over the finances. Don't worry. <laughs> so, you know, I'd, I'd go in and I'd, I'm like, well, we charge 400 pounds which now I know is still an absolute yeah nothing peanuts but doing cheap weddings was the thing that taught me basically how to take pictures um cars didn't come along until well I didn't start I learned how to start to learn how to drive when I was 17 because I lived in the middle of nowhere um so you kind of have to learn how to drive I did my first driving lesson on my 17th birthday um and then basically I, honestly, I loved it. I, I absolutely. Yeah, as soon, as soon as I could, I was literally like, I think the morning of was like an eight a.m. start. Yes. I was just like, oh, the car is brilliant. <laughs> you know that you know how it is. Where like, suddenly you're like, ah, I could have freedom soon. And um, yeah, basically, I so I learned how to drive, and I adored. I adored that car. It was just. It was a Fiat. Uh, what was it? A Fiat Punto, and it was a really old one. It was a. It's a horror. It was a. It was a. It was fine. I mean, I loved it. Um, and then we, we do. Uh, yeah. And it was my avenue to freedom. Um, and then my brother learned how to drive. He's two years younger than me. 
And it was cheaper for him to get a classic car on classic car insurance than it was to get like a crap Peugeot that was 10 years old and get like teenage boy insurance. And so he was 17, I was 19 and he got a classic mini. And I was like, annoyingly, that's really cool. And uh, yeah, and and I knew my, my dad's, it's yeah my, my my dad's mechanical so I was like right you can fix it I can drive it so I got myself classic mini and that was kind of the beginning of the the car interest um because then I was driving around in this wicked car and I was like I feel cool <laughs> as a 19 year old um and yeah the photography kind of I, you know it, it, I, I drove that car to university every day um, and it's great because when you've got to uni late and there's no parking and you see two cars that have just not quite parked correctly close to each other and you're like, I can get in that gap. <laughs> so that's what I did. Um, and then, yeah, basically uh, the uh, that, that was that was the beginning of it, really. And I left university um, in 2013. And because I had this nice camera I'd just bought with the last of my student loan, um, friends of my dad's built this replica Ferrari P4 and they wanted photographs of what they had built basically it was a you know it was it was wicked it was such a beautiful car um and so I just went over with a camera googled the night before how to take pictures of cars and didn't understand I started this podcast I googled how to start a podcast is you just do don't you if you want to do something yeah. you just kind of google's brilliant I mean I feel sorry for anyone oh, older than yeah. us because how they got anything done is on <laughs> books, I guess. But there we go. <laughs> books and asking the mates or something. I have no idea. But yeah, Google is fantastic. Everything. Yeah, every everything I've ever learned how to do in terms of photography has been through trial and error and Googling. I am not I have no official qualifications in photography at all. Um and so yeah, basically just shot this P4. And then about three weeks later, uh, I went to the Goodwood Revival because my dad was like, I know you're not that into cars, but I think you'll love the atmosphere of this because that was my interest, always has been. Um, and I thought, this is great. I was just photographing people. I wasn't even that bothered about the cars. It was just about the people. Um, and then about three weeks after that, I photographed a wicked wedding. And those three things, that the P4 Revival and the wedding, all basically kick-started my photography career. And... Um, yeah, that was August 2013. So uh, I've just passed my 10 year anniversary. So it's everything I've ever learned about cars has been learned in the last 10 years. So and it's mainly of classic cars. Rather, It's been th- of things I photographed rather than like if anybody talks about, you know, modern day vehicles now, I haven't a clue. I, I'm not interested. <laughs> so, you know, I'm a terrible pub chat person unless we're talking about classic cars or something like that. So, um, yeah, it just doesn't particularly interest me. But uh, yeah, that's the the long and short of how I got here. <laughs> no, it's brilliant. And there's quite a lot to unpack. And I just want to start with, you know, you mentioned your dad um, and, you know, being you kind of taking taking the reins. It's interesting because for me that I always, you know, kind of just whatever my dad said was rule. You know, I just went, cool. I, I was, there wasn't any input. There wasn't any, oh, can, I, can we try this or can we try that? Or it's, it's lovely that you were able to, you know, be that headstrong at an early age and go, actually, cool, dad, can we try this? And that, you know, make, trying to make money at an early age. Is there a spark, you know, anything entrepreneurial about you? Where's that come from? Is that something that, you know, you, you've observed? Being able to speak to amazing people and release their conversations every week is such a pleasure. And it means so much to me that people like you get to listen to this every week. And the fact that you're continuing to listen means even more. But I wanted to ask for a bit more support. I've started a Buy Me A Coffee. 
you can go onto the link down in the show notes below, click and donate as little or as much as you'd like. It would help me produce better content, keep the editing up, and just in general have better conversations. I can travel further and bring you better guests. If this sounds like something you'd like to help me with, the link will be in the show notes below. Again, thank you so much for listening. It's enough already. And so enjoy this episode. No, not really. Um, I mean, I suppose kind of from from my parents. Um, you know, they, they've always been employed themselves, not self-employed. Although saying that, my dad has had spats of being self-employed and he just didn't enjoy it. He just didn't like the stress of it. And so he is uh, he's, he's actually officially a, a spray man. He's he's uh, yeah. He, so he did like custom motorbike and uh, helmets and tanks for a long time. Um, and then again with kind of the weddings on the side and he's also an artist so do a bit of that I always just thought I'd do a bit on the side like I'd have a full-time job and do bits on the side of stuff um and it just turns out that one of those bits on the sides ends up being my full-time job so which was not the intention um but it kind of worked so it wasn't really like I learned how to be business savvy if anything I don't think I am I think I undercharge myself and and probably work a bit too hard and too many long hours um especially now being married to my husband William he's very business savvy so I like listen to him and I'm like oh I wouldn't dare ask for that but um you know it's so I just think the 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 being business savvy the long and short of it really for anybody listening um is thinking oh you know something I'd like to do but I'm not particularly business savvy I think the core of it is just to be confident and be confident either in your ability or in your ability and being able to say I think I should charge money for this regardless of how much money that is because in the end that will end up going up so um that is the the basis of it really and it's just trying to give yourself that kind of kick up the ass to be like no I think I could probably do this um as long as you enjoy it and as long as you aren't suffering horrendously financially then go for it <laughs> no I think you're right I mean, say it's um something that stopped me for quite a while was you know not knowing how to do things and so like if I was I've you know since COVID I've now realized that you know if I want to live my life I've got to start earning money you know there's this whole you know financial freedom um wave thing that you know kind of people hopping on but for me it was more like i want to be able to do something with my passion that's kind of where this started and so i was very you know thought about it for a whole of covid and as it like yourself not really knowing how to start a business but wanting to do and just kind of following the thing i love to do and i just i've worked in hospitality for a while i was kind of like i like talking to people clearly because i like the job i've not quit i hate it I hate the boss, but you know, that's not that's just the boss's problem. It's not the people problem. Um, but yeah, I, I completely see what you mean. Like it's just following interesting, you know, following what you're passionate about, and the money can come later if that makes sense. I think people listening as well, like you know, I I still I'm not making any money out of this. This isn't this is I've been doing this for two years now, and it's still, it's costing me more money than I've got. But <laughs> I really enjoy it, and I think that's it's important. And for you, Amy, was that something that you guess, you guess you learned from your dad or what did you learn from your parents as well that made, made, made you like this today? Like, what is the, the early stuff you kind of picked up on, do you think? Well, kind of going on from what you've said, um, my, both my parents have never really been um, money orientated. They've been experience orientated. So like this, the exact same as you, when I first started, I was I was a poor graduate. So I turned into a poor photographer. Nothing had really changed. So I was still living with my mom and dad when I when I finished university. Um, I didn't thankfully have any major financial responsibilities other than myself and my car. Um, my mum did start charging me rent, which is completely fair, but not like it was like 20 quid a week. It was she was really good to me. <laughs> um, but in terms of I think it's the way that they taught me to look at uh, experiences and life and what you value um, has been really important. So 
you know, we never, we, we, I wouldn't, we're not, we're not a poor family, but we're also not a rich family. But like our, we, we might, I, we went on our first um, kind of uh, um, abroad holiday when I was nine. And it was like two weeks to Greece in a package holiday because it was cheap and because that's all we could afford. And mum had to do quite a lot of overtime to get there. So it wasn't, but it was, so we did go on holiday. It wasn't like we're eating, you know, canned beans or some toast every day or anything like that. But it was, you know, money was always a bit tight. So it just meant that we had different experiences, um, like camping. I love camping. It was so oh, yeah. much fun. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's but- for 18 years. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> no, I love some it. people yeah, do. Love- <laughs> but this is the thing i think the your and i see i say this about the photography side as well Where, wherever your limitations in life there's a really great quote and i can't remember what it is but it's something about um uh, uh change or great things come from limitations or from problems or whatever it might be so like um for, for example i didn't have loads of photography equipment when i first started i had literally one camera and two lenses so that's what i shot with i didn't have loads of flash and loads of like um amazing gear or anything that i know a lot of photographers or you know what i now have as as kind of stuff to work with or what the photographers would have been shooting for for a long time so i just worked with what i had um and that ended up being exactly my style and what I, how i enjoyed photographing so um i think my my parents kind of um taught me to make do amend and keep you know just make things work even if you didn't really know how and my mum is fantastic like um logical wise my dad's an artist he's creative he's a bit of a hippie he's you know he's, he's very um kind of not not fluffy at all but like he's like oh it'll be fine and my mum's like no we're gonna do this this and this and so I think having that mix of them both definitely helped my brother on the other hand is very money orientated and only does a job that now pays him loads of money but i have loads more fun experiences and so that's kind of the joke that we have around the table at christmas is like i tell him all the places that i've been and traveled and things that are photographed and he's just like well i bought a three thousand pound coffee machine <laughs> to be honest i'm much happier with my my life experiences than he his three thousand coffee machine basically yeah i mean it's it's interesting that you've latched on to different aspects of your parents like you say you, your dad's very artistic and he's all about experiences you've kind of followed in that maybe that's spending more time with him taking pictures and and maybe yeah but i don't know did, you, did your mum spend a lot of time with his, your brother growing up was that something that happened i that was yeah you know what weirdly yes because my, my dad and i are very similar in personality and so we just got on better i think you always get on better with one parent more than the other but that was mainly from a um you know, from a, an actual, uh, not that I don't get, I get on with both. I'm re- I've got a really close relationship with them both, but dad and I just like the same things. So we just hung out and did things together because that's what we like doing. Whereas my mom and I will have the deep chats, you know, where it's a bit more kind of emotional and um, yeah, just, it, it's a lot more kind of, I suppose, yeah, different kind of mother daughter relationship than how I've, the relationship I've got with my dad. Like dad and I will, even now as grown ups, we go on these, um, motorbike road trips every year for you know anywhere between three and 12 days i love i absolutely love them but the great thing is we don't because we're on both each on a motorbike each we don't really talk to each other for, for hours we're just sat riding <laughs> so you know we might stop and be like oh do you want a cup of coffee here or whatever and we have a bit of a chat about bits of life whereas with my mom you know if we we're in a car together that's it for the three days because I take because my mom gets jealous, so I have to take her away as well. So, um, but then we have like you know, there's there's chats about life. Um, so yeah, totally totally different kind of relationships. Um, but yeah, and I think 
it's I don't know it, it just when you've kind of you meet I mean I'm thinking about my, my husband like when you meet when you meet somebody that you just get on with and you just think oh I just hang out with you and I think it's um yeah the same with my, with my dad I just thought oh you like what I like I'll hang out with you more and my brother always hung out with my mum more because they like sewing and knitting and yeah. flower arranging <laughs> that's literally what 3, my brother likes <laughs> three thousand pound coffee machines exactly yeah. um Who doesn't? But yeah it's um i mean the coffee's crap though i'm really sorry adam if you're listening if, the coffee needs to get better <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah so uh, amy the, the 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 mini um i know them because i love them there is a picture behind me that if you can see it of a green lovely thing drawn by a i'll, I'll give him a little shout out illustrator maker um i love terry um, yeah, Terry's yeah. great. <laughs> it's a, <laughs> minis, I don't know what it is. I think you, everyone loves a mini. But why did why, why was that car? You know, you saw sort of, you, you saw your brother have it. I don't know if it's a bit of envy there. I know my brother's got a nicer car than me, so that makes me slightly angry. But that's because he's an accountant, <laughs> and I chose to be poor. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, no, why, why minis? What was what was it about that car that you kind of drew, drew you to it? Uh, if I'm being totally honest, um, I didn't want to copy my brother with the mini choice. And I thought, you know, maybe I get like a Volkswagen Beetle or something like that just to be different from him. And then my dad just said, do not get a rear engine car. They're crap. And they, you know, they'll overheat when you're in traffic, get a mini. I know how to fix it. So, and that's, you know, at, at that age, that's all I could really afford anyway. I didn't really have any other choice. So I got the mini for, I think it was like 1,700 pounds on eBay. This is like, 13 years ago or whatever it was now um and so at the time that was a lot of money to me because I was working in a cinema I don't you know that, well I was at university so I was working in a cinema as a popcorn shoveler and I was I had like another job I had like two jobs and full full-time education so um I worked really hard to get to get that and so no the mini was not really a a um like a choice of I'll go and get a mini it was the option that I had was was limited um, from financially <laughs> and the ability to fix things or not fix things. Um, so yeah, I just thought, you know, I'll, I'll get a mini. And uh, yeah, when I picked it up, it was, I got, I think I got a really good deal for it because it was absolutely beautiful. It was so clean. I thought, what the hell is wrong with this thing? Because there's got to be something. Um, I know, I think something about minis from aesthetically, like they're quite a boxy shape. They're, they're not, they're not really like um they're almost like a cube a slightly squashed cube um and i think it's the just that cuteness and you know got a big door panel which just takes up the majority of the car and it's just a very easy um line of of design to follow and you know these big two big round headlights there's not really much to you know it's, it's quite a satisfying thing to look at um i think profile view is definitely my favorite uh and i think it's a similar to I mean, there are definitely other cars that have similar awesome profile views. The Porsche 911 is an immediate, you know, I'm, I'm not comparing my Mini to a Porsche 911, but it's again, one of those shapes where it's a very satisfying shape to look at from a profile point of view. I think a Land Rover Defender, also great shape, super boxy, like it's a satisfying thing to look at. Um, and I just think it's that simplicity that I love about Minis. And whenever I take my car, my Mini to... You know, road trip. I've done a couple of long, long solo road trips where I photographed the the journey as well. I love all the have images you still that the I get. I'm just like, I still have the mini. Um, have although it's a bit, yeah, it's it's a bit in a it's oh, a bit just, more in a sad great. state now. <laughs> it's a little bit because I've, I've had it for so long and it was my daily for a long time. Um, 
it's been in a, in my shed for a couple of years, um, which is a real shame because I, I basically did a, a long road trip with it um, at the end of COVID. So yeah, three years ago. And, um, oh no, that was middle of COVID. Uh, sorry, like 2020 of COVID. So um, yeah, I did quite a long road trip uh, with it because I just had a brand new engine built. Like it's it's become not a race engine, but not far off. It's a wicked engine from a, a great chap called um, Chris at Crafted Classic Tuning. And um, it's it's awesome. So the, the, the engine alone is now worth more than the car. Um, and Matt, it's Gah. like a rocket. <laughs> It's so much fun. Is it like a a 1380? We bought it out. Is it 1275? Like, what is the. It's my bog standard uh, 998, which I didn't get bought out. I don't think it got bought out. It just got properly built. And it's had, you know, it's had new bits put on it. And it's just much nicer than a a standard engine is, really. Um, So, yeah, it's it's wicked. I love it. Um, But the thing is, I've got a few too many classic cars, or not even classic cars, just cars in general. And so. I, at some, you know, the house that I'm currently in, we rent and we've just moved in, but I know we're not going to stay here for that long. I love it, but I would much rather have a, a house that I've actually bought. But to do so means selling quite a number of things. And so I'm like, mm, the mini, I think is going to have to go and I am going to be heartbroken, absolutely heartbroken. The, but the problem is with classic cars, especially the longer you have them, the more you fall in love with them. Even if you don't drive them, even if they've sat in your garage for a long time, you still have that that love for them. Um, so, yeah, but I do think at some point I'm going to have to let it go. And, yeah, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'll just, I think I'm just going to sink myself into a bottle of wine or something. Um, I find a really yeah. crappy, um, I'm, sure there's a, I'm sure there's a bottle of wine, a manufacturer that's by now picked cars and named wine after cars. I'm sure you can find a mini <laughs> bottle of wine. And just, oh, there's, just there's drink a mini bottle of wine. Places. Yeah. I could just drink uh, a mini just... bottle of wine. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, there's some, there's, there's some, I've, got, little... I've got two two lots of gin that are automotive. I'm looking at them now. I've got engine. That's a great one. And then there's also the uh, piston gin as well. So uh, they're my two. Maybe, maybe I've got to go with them. Um, but yeah. So, but yeah, I do have, um, it was either going to have to, basically of, of, our, of all our vehicles, I've decided, or we've decided that we're going to have to keep just two. So we're going to keep our Land Rover Defender or my Land Rover Defender, should I say. Um, and the MGB GT because they're the most fun two cars I think for me personally. <laughs> well, yeah, it makes sense, isn't it? You got um, oh, yeah, it's I don't know. I, I, those are cars I again the MGB GT was gonna be my, my first car. I looked when I looked when I was looking buying cars. It was either that for two grand or a, a Clio, and I ended up with a Clio because insurance is fun. And costs money. Um, yes, they've. I yeah. think they've clo- closed the loophole now of the classic car insurance loop, which is a real shame because it, that is a was a massive way to get younger people into classic cars. Um, which anyway, I don't know. I don't know how it would work now, but if you're over twenty one now, so a bit older, definitely get a classic car because they're the best. No, <laughs> I will have to. Yeah, I think I'm like okay, coming towards. The, the the first gen BMW Mini being a classic car, so um, that might help. But uh, we'll see because I love the, the supercharger sound. Is uh, again one of those cars I just I love. I had had one of those and it's brilliant. But speaking of nice. minis and getting you in and and, and getting you into cars, um, the photography. Obviously, that Mini's been with you since you know since the beginning. Um, mm-hmm. I'm just like try, trying to again. This podcast is trying to explain like, what is out there for people, and I love I love having um, photographers and artists on the podcast because. 
everyone gets into photography for a different reason. Everyone carries on an art for a different reason. But I'm wondering, you know, after after university, you've come to university and you, you know, do the wedding photography, was there, and, and the cars came into it. When, when you started looking at what I can do with a career, did you just kind of follow it? Did you do research? Obviously, you mentioned Google. So what kind of made you go, actually, I want to do photography. This is a thing that I can do, I want to do, and I do like doing. It was more out of it just happened. It was never really a conscious decision. Um, the only point where it was a conscious decision was when in literally in, in August 2013, um, I ended up thinking to myself, well, I've started to earn some money now doing this. And it started to be a bit more than just something I could just fob off as a bit, you know, 300 quid a quarter or whatever it was for, you know, the, the, literally like pocket money. It ended up being a bit more like, oh, I've got a few jobs here. Oh, I've got, I've got, I've got a few other bits here. And, and I thought I should probably start declaring my tax and things like this. So um, I went to a friend of mine who's a, a, an accountant and I basically said, hello, I've started making money doing this photography stuff how do I pay tax? <laughs> I had no idea. And, you know, you start these, I think, how do I be an adult? Yeah, basically. Um, and so he was like, well, what you've got, the first thing you got to do is you've got to register yourself with Companies House. And I was like, how do I do that? And he was like, don't worry, we'll do all of that for you. So basically he set me up and it was, the, you know, having, if you're doing any form of um, self-employed business, whatever, having people around you to do the things that you do not know how to do is not a failure. It's not like, oh, I should know how to do those bits let them do it. People do these things for jobs. Like, you know, your accountant for a start. I don't, I've not done my accounts ever. I I wouldn't even know what to do if I had to do a self-assessment tax return. I just say to my accountant, Valerie, help me. <laughs> and that's what she does. <laughs> so, um, and it's the same with like, um, well, it's the same, same with anything. So, you know, any questions that I would have, I would either Google or I ended up having a sit down um, meeting with a fantastic photographer who does all of Land Rover stuff. Uh, it's called Nick Dimbleby. And um, I can't remember how we met, but he was like, hey, let's go and have lunch and let's you know, have a bit of a chat about the ways of photography. And I thought, yes, please. And I asked him every question that I couldn't really figure out an answer to. L you know, like uh, when you're trying to think of so how, what to charge people to begin with. I remember Go um, Goodwood ringing me and saying, hey, Amy, um, we've seen you from the revival. Um, we'd like you to come and photograph this new event we've got called the members meeting. What's your day rate? And I was like, uh, so I'd, I'd never been asked for a day rate before. So I was Googling what the hell I should do as a day rate. And then I also took into account the fact that I've never done it before. Um, and I think I said something like 350 quid. And they're like, yeah, okay. <laughs> so that was kind of that, I thought, okay. It's a good, that's an okay start. And then, you know, other people would say, um, like one of the, my very early customers said, oh, we can only pay you something like 120 pounds for a load of photographs and a 600 word article. And it might, at the time I was like, I've never made money doing photography before. This is amazing. And it's not until you start getting other people saying, oh, I'll pay you more than that. And you think, oh, maybe that original one was a, was a bad idea, about a bad deal. But it's not until you get into it and you kind of learn these things that you actually take on board your experiences and you go, ah, I, I, I need to value myself a little bit more for whatever reason. So, um, so I've gone off on a tangent of your question here. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, just basically asking people. It's, um, so after doing the job for probably seven years, I ended up sitting down in front of my computer and because I get I would get quite a lot of the same questions through Instagram mainly basically being like you know I'd love to be a car photographer how do I get into it 
please give me any tips or anything. And then I was repeating this, this, these answers so many times that I wrote a, like it was a, it's like a 10,000 word, maybe not that much. It was a massive blog post of basically called. Bible of a. Yeah. It was called how to be a car photographer and still is called how to be a car photographer. And it's on my website. And, um, it was every question that I got asked, um, uh, and everything that I wanted to know when I first started and I just answered them just in the terms of like, I just thought, how, how do I get this knowledge out to make it a bit easier for other people as well? And I've had so many people send me emails or messages being like, I'm so grateful for that. And, you know, it's really helps. And I'm like, oh, yay. <laughs> so, and writing that article actually is the, was the point that was then the reason I ended up getting a phone call from Nikon asking to be one of their ambassadors, because they said, we've seen this article. We like the way you want to share your knowledge. Do you want to come on board with an, as a Nikon ambassador? I was like, oh my God, my God, my God, my God, my God. So um, yeah, it's sharing knowledge is good. So if you have knowledge, don't gatekeep, share it because <laughs> it helps the world. <laughs> I was going to say, because that's brilliantly like, especially with like Nikon, that's, I guess you've, you've not wanted to be Nikon ambassador or maybe you did, but you've not like gone and set a goal of, I want to be a Nikon ambassador. You've just been lovely to people, uh, give them value. And people have seen that and have gone, great, this person clearly cares A, about what she's doing and B, about the people she's working with and for. And it's, you've given out, you know, you've just been you. I think that's something that I, I get a lot about LinkedIn because I love LinkedIn. I don't have a lot to give being as young as I am, but what I do give is, you know, what I learned from this. And I think that's brilliant because again, the whole point of this was to go, I didn't know how to be a photographer. I didn't know what a car mechanic did. I, I knew, I kind of knew it's not that hard to figure out, but I didn't know the, the intricacies of how you get there or what it looks like or, and even like trying to find out from people like yourself, like how, to, if that's a question, because people want to be ambassadors, right? How to do it. And it's not that you've gone and tried to do it. You've just been nice and given people value. I think that's a good lesson for people to listen to and grab onto as well. I mean, I don't think there's any harm in saying I want to one day have the recognition of a brand that I really love. Absolutely. But as you said, I had, no intention. I didn't even know it was something that they did. I just thought, I, oh, if, if they did, I have to say, I just thought it would be like um, really famous photographers of like the National Geographic would end up doing it. I just didn't think some, I was like, I was at the time I was their youngest ambassador that I'd ever taken on board. I think I was 27 at the time. Um, and I just was like, I, I didn't, it, it, was just, it was just such a shock. Um, I just didn't think that my, I was, sounds, it sounds it sounds like I really beat myself down. I don't mean this. I truly mean, I, I like, I didn't think I was worth that. I didn't think I was worth anything to them. So it was such a, a heartwarming thing to have that phone call and be like, oh, I have value. <laughs> so, um, but I guess it's how you, uh, how you believe in your own self value. Um, and especially with the world of social media now, it's so, 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 so hard to remind yourself that your social media following isn't your value. And I think that is we put a way too high um, value on the social media side of things. And it's like, it's, it's almost like a currency now. And people are like, oh, this, I suppose it's like um, the same as cars. I was speaking to a friend of, of mine recently who looks after a very, very large, very expensive collection of cars. And he was saying how much it frustrates him when people are like, they don't ask what the history of the car is. They don't ask what provenance it's got, what, um, you know, why it's so beautiful, who owned it, whatever. They'll be like, how much is it worth? And he's like, the value is not in its 
value you know it's monetary value there's so much more that to to this car than just that and it's um I kind of I, I do agree with them so uh yeah when when I meet people and I hear that they've got a million followers on Instagram or whatever I try to not let, let that affect my own judgment on that person because I don't want myself to think oh I'm valuing you because you've got a million followers on Instagram the same as celebrities like why should we value celebrities just because they're well known and I'm thinking I want to value you on what you do for the world what you give to the world what you create you know you have some artist friends of mine that create the most beautiful pieces and I'm just like you're fantastic and I much prefer you than some person that's got loads of followers before I know I, I don't want to slag anybody off so I, I can't give an example but like what I consider thinking that's a load of crap why have you got a million followers like that it's you know maybe I'm I'm probably in the wrong there but um yeah here's I'm waffling again <laughs> I've just gone on a mind tangent thought and start talking <laughs> you've brought you brought up a couple of good things I like the, the social media thing again for young not young so was anyone just starting actually or anyone that's picking up social media or they want to grow on social media I think they're growing on social media is just what I guess looking at that it's wanting to be liked isn't it yeah you know if you want to grow on social media effectively you want more likes and you want more follows therefore you want to be liked more yep um the- and the thing i start I, I when i started the podcast i was like i just want the podcast to go out to more people but what i did do is then just started following everyone like and then i just see that the early early me going oh, i just want to be liked please follow me the podcast because i want you to like the podcast and i want you to like me and that's just a clear very much you know Without, sub- without thinking it's a very subconscious driver to going and, and opening a social media account regardless of what you're doing, whether you just want to put some art on there. And again, this recent article that I did read and did love, um, I think it was, I can't remember what it's called, it's, it's Beeholics, it's where I got the Jane Austen quote from. Mm-hmm. But yes. you mentioned something about social media and I think it's very important. And I think, you know, if you are starting out on any journey and I, for me as well, like I'm, I'm still learning this, this is, this is all very new to me. I, I like what you did about the, the likes and, and turning that off. I think it's very interesting. Yeah, I found my mental health much happier the minute I turned them off um, because I stopped valuing myself on my own social media following. Rather, as much as I, you know, I don't want other people to value me and my work on my social media following. Um, I'm not denying Instagram definitely, definitely 100% helped my career. I get so much work through Instagram. So it, there is a huge value in it, but it's not my value, if that makes sense. Um so like I have to remind myself that like I think the, the part danger is is that you end up um, changing what you do to please others rather than to do what you want to do. So like if I go to Goodwood and I photograph all the people and the atmospheric side that I love, I know that those pictures, if I put them on Instagram, will not do anywhere near as well as the pictures I'll post of a wicked car. And I mean, I think there's a, some, a friend of mine once said, you know, you could be a really crap photographer taking pictures of amazing cars and you will get a better social media response than if you took an amazing picture of an average car. And it's so true. And it does break my heart. But I mean, it, you know, people can't be knocked for having their interest in, in cars. That's why we're all here. Um, but I just wish that it wasn't always the case. Like the people I follow on Instagram and the photographers that I follow, you know, I love their stuff for their stuff. You know, I'll follow car people for the cars that they post and that's one thing. But, um, I, you know, it's it's trying to... I suppose it's the, the question of how you value art over um, what you're photographing or, or something. Like, it, it's, it, is a, it is a fine line and I'm, always, I'm still trying to work it out. But, 
yeah basically i just don't want to i don't want to have my own mental health absolutely plummet being like oh i only got whatever likes on this picture because and that doesn't mean that, that picture was bad not at all it just means that it wasn't what people wanted to see necessarily if that makes sense yeah no i understand you, you but then again people forget why instagram was first you know made you know it was made to share photos it wasn't made to show off like that was the original conception of the of the platform but you mentioned like self-value and the thing i wanted to ask earlier because you, you mentioned the award you got and it was it was hard for you to accept so is, is that something you you're working on is it something that you're realizing that your your self-value is that how, how how do you work that out with difficulty <laughs> it's um I suppose every achievement that I get, even though I struggle to talk about it and to um, express it's um, there's, a, there's a few different avenues. Like it, the achievements I still have, I still feel proud of. And I'm like, yeah, I did a thing and I've been awarded for that. Um, but talking about them, I struggle with. And I don't know if it's a woman thing it, because basically I, even now, if I, like I did a shoot recently and I planned it really well. And I was, it was in Northern France and I was like, right, I'm going to get my locations. And I, I scouted the internet or Google maps for about three or four hours trying to find the right locations. And I got some wicked ones and I was like, right. So we turned up at the shoot and we, you know, whizzed around all these locations. And I, I did a great job and I was like, yay. And then the, the, even the, the, one of the people I was with was like, yeah, you did a really good job. And I think that was like, thank you very much. I know. And he was like, all right, then don't be arrogant kind of attitude. And I know I think it was meant in jest, but that is a, a thing that women get a lot. Like we're not confident, we're arrogant. And I think blokes still get that, absolutely, but I don't think it's as much. And so I think it's a, it's a, it's also a problem because like on the other spe- side of the spectrum, same periods of time, like mod- like I got asked this last week, I get asked still, um, oh yeah, I say, no, I'm a photographer. Oh, is that your full-time job? And to me, that question is doubting my ability to do it. Like, I don't know. Like, I understand that people may have never met full-time photographers, but that is a question I think, if I was a bloke, would you have asked me that? It, like, it's not, I get asked this more than once. And I kind of think to myself, should I? I haven't yet, because I feel too mean. But like, I should say, oh, is a, you know, mechanicing, is that your full-time job? Just to kind of highlight that it's a daft question. Um, I don't think I would ever ask, is that your full-time job to anybody? Like, I wouldn't say, you know, if somebody was like, oh, I, I knit and I sell my stuff. I wouldn't say, is that your full-time job? Like, what do you really do? Like you're, you're, you know, you obviously don't do that all the time because I, I, I don't know, like it's, I think it's a daft question. So I have to, I feel like I'm having to justify my, um, my worth to be doing that shoot at the time. And I have to do that by saying, oh yeah, I've been doing this for 10 years. I've, I'm a Nikon ambassador. I've, I've got this many followers on Instagram. I don't list these things in conversation. I don't actually do that. But in my head, I'm like, how much? Yeah, no, no. And then they, then they might say like, oh, but you know, it's hard, hard money making, uh, it being a photographer, isn't it? And again, I have to justify myself and be like, oh no, I bought a house when I was 26 and so I'm doing all right. And you know, I have to, I, but I shouldn't, I don't feel like I, I should have to constantly justify myself, but at the same time, not be arrogant. And it's a, it's a, a balance which, is continuous it's getting easier i think but it's i think it's also a bit ageist not just sexist ageism is a, definitely a thing in, in the classic car world like um yeah have you have you ever asked why they asked that question sorry no I mean, I, because have you ever asked why? no because i feel not um, a mean way but like oh what do you ask like of it just might it's, oh what do you ask like would you want to be part of because i don't know because if i was asking someone if it was a full-time job 
I want to know how they did it would be my angle. Yeah. But I don't know if it can contain, because obviously I know the automotive industry and the motorsport industry is still a bit, it's it's still a bit, still is very male dominated. It still is sexist. I will say that because I've spoken to people like yourself. I've spoken to women racing drivers. I've spoken to people in the industry from left, right and center. And they all say they get patronized. They get, you know, put down or they don't, their value isn't perceived to be as high as a male in the same position. And I understand. But for you, why, why does it, I mean, you, you feel like you have to prove yourself, right? Is, is that is that what comes across, the first thing? Yeah, and I think I probably would um, ask them, like next time I get asked something like that, I think I probably will say something like, oh, you know, are you interested? You know, why do you ask? Or something, it's a good, it's a good question. Um, I suppose I just, at the time, I'm not witty enough. <laughs> I don't think to ask. Um, but it's, um, yeah, I don't, I, I mean, try, trying to figure out your own self-worth is a, lifelong battle i think um and how you feel it uh, oh my god every i think yeah it's it, i and i suppose this the way i try to manage it myself is i try to think of the life's again going back to the beginning of this podcast when we talk about what my parents brought me and my brother up to kind of feel like i try to go on the value the quality of my life rather than the kind of i don't know how much money i've got or how many cars i've got or anything like that so i think to myself um either I'm doing the job that I absolutely love and I'm shooting things I love and amazing cars and amazing places or if I'm having a bit of a slower every winter is slow down for all all automotive photographers winter is slow so when I'm in January and I'm feeling a bit low and people will start to be you know go on to certain jobs and I'm like oh I'm not going on jobs yet I have to remind myself like I've got a life where I'm currently sat on the sofa reading my book and it's a Tuesday afternoon I'm thinking this isn't too bad. <laughs> so um, it's just trying to figure out how you value yourself and not let other people determine how you should value yourself. Um, yeah. I don't, th- I don't think that's answered your question. <laughs> no, I think it's because it's hard to ask, how do you value yourself, isn't it? Like, do you value yourself on your money, your happiness, your success, what mm-hmm. is success? I mean, you can go for bloody ages asking those questions. But it's more just like, I think for me anyway, it's just being happy with what I've got. It's just, I think that the whole gratitude thing kind of helps. Yeah, I'm mean, happy to, you know, for me, like I've chosen to, I know I've chosen, I physically, I've made the decision to quit full-time work, work part-time and then try and do this and whatever this is. And I think like yourself, like I'm, I'm not, I've not got oodles of money, but I have got time to do what I want. And I think mm-hmm. you know, most people, time is probably more important than money. I don't, I don't know for me it is, but yeah. No, absolutely massively. And I think trying to understand what you value in life is the key to having a decent one. Um, and like, for, um, you know, I chat to some people who say, I would love to be a, a photographer, an automotive photographer, but I don't know how to get into it. And I, I'm, you know, I'm worried about finance and stuff. And I'm just like, well, you know, you don't have to do the massive, scary leap of faith straight away. If you can go down, say you're a five day, nine to five working person at the moment, if you can go down to four days a week and then have that one day that you can try and do photo shoots to see if you can do like, I know the weekends and if you're doing a wedding for whatever, you could do weddings on Friday, Saturdays and see, you know, how you get on. And you basically, you can, it's a slow seesaw that you can start to tip one way. Um, but it's again, sometimes your, your kind of your life happiness and your, what you value, it takes a long time to shift. Like, for example, my um, my husband was working somewhere and he was very unhappy and very stressed. 
And so I was like, well, why don't we start our own Jaguar restoration company? And so he's still very stressed, <laughs> but the, it's, a different, <laughs> it's a different type of stress yeah. and a more manageable one. So even though the, the outcome is on, on paper the same, I know like really you're, you're, his own self-worth is much higher. And I know that for sure. And, you know, I do think there's a, he's happier now than where he was. And so what I'm saying is like, it, it, it is important to think about how you find, the, as we've already said, find the value in yourself and also how you want to live your life. So I know that I could never sit behind a desk nine to five, five days a week. It's something I just couldn't, I couldn't fathom. Um, so my value is in having the freedom. It's not all, it doesn't always feel like freedom if I've got to work ridiculous hours because you're, you're freelance and you work any hours that you possibly can but um you know when I am at home and as I said it's a Tuesday afternoon I'm sat having a cup of tea and reading my book and in front of the fire with the cat I'm like oh this is nice and I wouldn't be able to do this if I, if I wasn't freelance and um yeah that's that is what I think I ended up learning what I valued and it wasn't having a big house or loads of nice cars which is a bit ironic but it's I've got loads of cars they're just not all nice <laughs> um but it is thinking, okay, what do I want my life to look like? I think that's the most important thing. What do I want my life to look like? Um, and I read a lot of stuff from a chap called Mark Manson, uh, who wrote a book called The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Beep. And so um, I'm not, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on this podcast. You can swear. But there we are. If you, if you Google the beginning of that, you'll, you'll get the book. And it was a fantastic book that really kind of made me think, ah, I need to learn what I value in life. And is it is it family time? Is it the ability to make money being a photographer? Is it flash cars? And once you figure that out, it helps a lot of other things because you just think, mm, okay, this the way I'm living my life at the minute isn't that. And uh, he also talks about choosing your struggles. So when I'm thinking, when I'm like, my alarm's gone off at three in the morning because I've got to get a flight somewhere to do a job and I'm not really looking forward to the job, but it'll be fine. I think to myself, well, this is the struggle that I'm choosing, which I prefer this struggle to the struggle of going to an office nine to five, five days a week. That's a struggle I would prefer much less. They're both struggles, but which one do you want to choose? And it gives you a much better uh, kind of, the, the minute you feel like you're not being forced to do something, but it's your choice, then it definitely helps you mentally. Like another one um i would love to be stick thin and really fit you know i especially as a teenager i had a lot of issues and i was like i really want to be thin and then i realized that the struggle i prefer is not i don't want to have the struggle of eating really healthily not really going out with my mates because i can only eat salad or getting up at six in the morning every day to go running i much prefer the struggle of being a bit chunkier and having all those great experiences and traveling the world and having you know local cuisines that are probably full of fat and sugar but they taste great and i'm like ah but i've had that experience and that's the struggle i would prefer so um yeah but that's it gives you a better mental kind of stance when you know you can control that and that is the struggle you're choosing if that makes any sense yeah i think control is something we're all after isn't it yeah that's the one thing that we humans we want i think is a interesting um Think about autonomy. You know, you want to be autonomous over your life. It's from a book. I couldn't tell you which one, um, <laughs> but it was all about. I used to manage a restaurant, and the thing was, I was like, how do I get the best out of at the time, seventeen, eighteen year olds who didn't really want to be there? And I was like, how can I give those kids? I mean, I was only twenty one, but like, how do I give those? How do I give people <laughs> that like that the best chance to be you know, earn? Because they're just there to earn money. They don't really care. 
But if I can, you know, if I can make them better or I can make their lives better, they'll enjoy work. Therefore, they might work a bit. They might work a bit harder. I don't know. But yeah, like I say, autonomy was a big thing. Um, but Amy, I know that we've not talked a lot about, you know, the, 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 the amazing photography gear you have had. So I wanted to just ask the sort of, if I was to come to you, I know you've probably had this a million times, but I want to know what made the difference, what made the biggest differences in your career? Was it cameras? Was it the people you talked to? For people listening, what do they need to spend their time on the most to maximize their career? Oh, um, good question. I, initially, I think the biggest step up for an initial big step up was the quality of my gear that I was shooting with. Um, that point that I went from shooting with a, a, a bog standard DSLR with a kit lens and I was getting frustrated of why my photographs weren't amazing to buying a full frame camera with a half decent lens. So um, the first camera and lens I ever bought myself properly was a, a Nikon D600, which is a basic full frame camera and a 50mm 1.8 lens, which is a super cheap lens. But that combination was a step up from the kit camera and lens. Um, and so immediately my images looked sharper, clearer, better depth of field. And I was like, ah, that encouraged me because I knew my pictures were starting to look better. I was like, that makes me want to do this more because um, I felt like I was doing better. And then it, it was funny because I looked back to some of my old, old, old work even before I got a decent camera and lens, and I could still see the way that I photograph now. I could still see my compositions, still see the moments that I was looking for. Um, and so I, I knew that I, I kind of had that eye that I think I, that photographers do have, but my quality wasn't great. So that first step of getting, not it doesn't have to be expensive, just a little bit more quality from, from my point of view. As I was saying earlier in this conversation about limitations, like I encourage people to also work with their limitations. If your phone is the only thing you've got to work with, then absolutely just make that work because suddenly your limitation of only having a phone, you think, okay, what can I do with this limited technology here? Or, you know, if you want to shoot just with a disposable camera, that's a limited technology, but it'll make you think differently. You'll be like, right, how do I, how do I use this to get the best images out? It doesn't mean best doesn't mean quality. Best could just be that vibe that, real like throwaway party vibe and you think okay this is this is some cool stuff that we're getting here that's something i, I wouldn't be able to get with my professional cameras because it's going to be a totally different look so your limitations can absolutely be the thing to take you forward i think a lot of people now are shooting on film a lot more that's a limitation in my eyes because i think you can't see the your, your work you can't see as you can't take as many pictures but the images that they do produce are beautiful. And I'm like, that's cool, but it's a limitation. So I think just figuring out what you, how you want to shoot for a start. Um, you know, do you want it to be artistic? Do you want to have those limitations? Do you just want to shoot with your phone? Do you want to get into the professional of something where you are going to need a, prob probably going to need, I can't assume, a, uh, a more technical setup. Um, but other than that, I think just the ability to talk definitely helped me because the minute that you kind of go to a like I'm I'm actually not a very sociable person I don't I, don't, I struggle socially like I, I I go to a party I have a great time and then I hit a social ceiling and I leave I just Irish exit I don't say goodbye to anybody I just leave <laughs> so, um but up until that point I get on really well with people so um it, you know you're just just chatting and making friends with people and the the cliche word of it is networking 
um, which makes it sound really, I went to one networking event once in my life that I got invited to and it's the most boring thing I've ever been to. So networking is much more fun when you're going with a few beers in a bar and you're just hanging out with a few people <laughs> rather than going to some corporate office with some dry croissants and bad coffee. Um, so just basically a slightly, you know, figure out your kit and what you want to use and chat, just talk to people because there's always going to be people that want photographs of whatever you want. Like, oh, another another massive thing uh, that I wish people knew more of. If you want to be a photographer, that's one passion, one, you know, like um, a thing you're really interested in doing. But you've got to photograph something. That should be your second passion. So for me, I love photography. And then cars became my second passion. If you love food for example be go and be a food photographer go and get really good at that if you love hanging out with people go and be a portrait photographer if you love animals go and hang out with animals and photograph them like if you love hiking that's when you go and be a landscape photographer just because you're photographing these things that you feel are going to make you money doesn't mean that you're going to be happy so you may as well photograph the things that you love and even if you're not making any money you'll be happy at least that's the aim anyway so um like the people say to me, you know, I'd love to be a landscape photographer. And I think, awesome, go and be a landscape photographer. Realistically, they're probably not going to make money from it because the landscape doesn't want to pay them. It doesn't care if you take its picture or not. Whereas automotive cars, for a start, there's loads of money in cars. So there are people that will pay money. Um, if you want to be a music, if you love music and you want to be a music photographer, there's a good chance that you'll get some money, maybe. But I think quite a few musicians are very poor for a long time until they're very not poor. So um, you've got to do certain things sometimes with photography just because you love it and not because you think you're going to make loads of money from it. Um, there are ways you can make money differently to how I make money. So I make money because somebody will say, hey, Amy, I've got this car that needs to be photographed for this magazine, brand, me personally, whatever it might be. I'll pay you a day rate to photograph this car. I'm like, cool. Thank you very much. That's a deal done. Um Whereas when it comes down to something like landscape photography, you might think, okay, the way I'm going to make money out of this is selling prints or by selling my editing presets or by doing online, you know, talking about influencing. If I, if I can photograph enough things to get a good following, I can start selling hiking gear, camping gear, whatever people want to use you as an advertisement. That's a way you can make money being a landscape photographer or an adventure photographer or something like that. So there are ways and avenues of doing it. Um, it's just trying to find out how to monetize the thing you want to do, which at the end of the day is taking pictures of the thing you like taking pictures of in the life that you like living. If that makes sense. No, I think it's, yeah, that's brilliant. No, that's, oh, I, Joe, I, the, do you know what the, how to make money out of it is a question that I, do you know what? I probably should start asking more people because a lot of people have different ways of doing it. But yeah, and I think it's, a, especially with the whole, you know, creator economy. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got people now creating content and being a social influencer is creating content. And it's become a weird way for anyone over the age of, I guess, well, now 12 probably yeah. TikTok people um, <laughs> to, to make money. But when it came to the, the and this is I'm interested in, the, the big jobs, the, the stuff that you thought, you know, pinching moments and, and accepting those jobs and, and going, right, I've worked for the likes of, you know, Goodwood, Bentley, people like that, right? How does that affect you as a person what, what do you how do you accept the job so where do they come from is it just you know like you say people call you up and go can you take a photo how, how does so, that work for me a lot of it did come through instagram um having that following definitely meant that i was just shown and my work was shown to lots of people 
and that really helped um if instagram wasn't a thing i would go the old school way and i would contact people directly myself just to literally say hey this is who i am if you like my work great i'm available for hire i would if, if instagram didn't exist that is what i would do um it's obviously it's a much slower way of doing it but it still works um and so but again the other ways of doing it people just end up meeting and chatting so um like i'm just trying to think of any example you just get chatting to somebody and you go oh, i'm a car photographer and they go oh cool i i actually look after this magazine you go oh well here's my card have a look at my work and it does kind of happen like that slowly but um yeah social media does definitely project that massively across the internet um and makes things a lot easier but it generally is more of a um as uh, now it becomes more of a, a repeated customer people know who i who, who i am and the friends that you meet make not even friends acquaintances that you make in those you know meetings and those just kind of you go to an event and you get chatting to somebody um they end up moving to another company for example but they've taken you with them mentally so that means that you then go and work for those people and so then you might can you have that little group of people that you then know in that situation um when it comes down to some of the big stuff like i've done a couple of big commercial well, a few big commercial shoots um i don't love them um and i've had a few over over the years but like i've now got an agent to deal with all of my commercial stuff which is great because it can be quite high stress, high money, which is amazing. That's the reason why you do it. But for me, fairly low enjoyment. It's very, very controlled. I have very little freedom. Um, you are sticking to a very precise brief, which is actually quite, I quite like trying to stick to the really precise brief. But like I went to a shoot once where um, I was photographing motorbikes for a brand. And when I got there, the location had been picked by the client that the location scout had gone to find. Um, there was a cardboard cutout of a motorcycle in the location that they decided thought would, would be nice. My camera was on a tripod. I don't own a tripod, but it was on a tripod um, that my assistants that I was given uh, had set up. And they're like, okay, I've set your exposure settings to what I think it should be. Um, if you know, do you want to check and see what you think? And I thought, what the hell am I here to do? Press a button. Like I had, I had no, you know, and I press the button and I'd be like, to the, the client and the and the creative director because it's not just the client it's also the creative director and they might have their assistants who everybody feels like they have to say something because that's how they might get their value and their worth of their sums themselves and then they go oh maybe we should move the bike a bit further forwards or whatever and and then i'd say okay um this is the reason why i did it this way but yeah we can try it and then they go yeah, yeah i think we prefer that and in my head i'm like just why am I here? So um, I really struggle with some of that. But then on the flip side, you sometimes get some wicked people that you work with. I did a shoot for um, for Mini recently and BMW and the creative director I was with was awesome. We were so totally on the same page and um, it was quite a difficult shoot, but I got to do a bit of kind of tripod stuff and a bit more handheld stuff. So that was, for me, it was that flip-flop that I, was, I quite enjoyed as well. So I felt that everybody, it was a great team. And so it can be really good fun. But those shoots are high stress, but high money. So um yeah, it's it's not the easiest way, but I don't get loads of them either. So, you know, I might get one a year, which is not enough for me to live on. Um, even if it is a nice little cash injection, it's like, oh, okay, well, that'll get me through three months, but I've got the rest of the year to bother about now. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's all about a balancing act, really. And it, yeah, it isn't it isn't easy. There is no right answer. It's just um, try and do what you can, basically. Yeah. I think it's again you've you've um 
it's weird. The, the stuff you don't enjoy is the stuff that limits your control. Mm-hmm. And I think that's quite, yeah, just again, we go back to what you talk about, about having freedom and being able to do what you want. And that's kind of why you enjoy photography. But um, so the limitations, they're different there. The limitations aren't the equipment, the gear, the location, that none of that's, that limitations are the people that are employing you. And it's like, how do you get around that? Or how do you work with those people? And are you just there to press a button? And that can be quite demoralizing, I guess. You know, if you were just there to press a button, like you come with all this experience and all this, you know, oh, you maybe you have an idea of what the pit is going to look like in your head. You get there and you're like, ah, the bike's over there. I thought it'd be there. Or this landscape looks fantastic, but it's I'm in the wrong place to the photo. But you've got to stand there with a, do you get, do you get any, any sort of like movement or artistic influence, I guess would be the it word. It depends on the client and what they want. So for example, that motorbike shoot, I didn't get anything. I didn't get anything at all. And I hated it so much. I couldn't wait for the, that, that shoot to be over. Um, but then on the flip side, I did a shoot for uh, Alpine with their A110. And they were like, we want to do a commercial shoot. We're just going to go from London to Scotland. We're going to do a road trip. We're going to shoot it at different locations. And I was like, wicked, let's do that. And so I had full creative control on that one. And I was, you know, I was working with creative directors and, and the clients as well. So, but they were like, oh, should we try over there? And it was much more of a teamwork thing rather than a, you do that because I think it's best kind of attitude. Um, and I think it's just being treated like a colleague rather than a um you're doing the job because I'm paying you kind of attitude. Yeah. Um, as, as a photographer, you can sometimes get treated a, a bit crap because you are the person, you're just the photographer. You lose your name. You're the photographer. And that can be, that can be quite demoralizing. But the minute you're Amy, should we try and shoot over here? You're like, yes, yeah, teamwork. Let's go and see what we can get. And you get a wicked outcome. The shoots that I feel I get the best imagery from are the ones that I've enjoyed the most. And it's because I've wanted to go that step further. I've wanted to try that that different thing. The ones where I feel like I'm there just to press a button or just because, you know, I, I'm, I'm the photographer are the ones where I've done the job. I've settled the brief and I've done no more because I've not felt the valued. <laughs> so it's all emotional. Maybe it's a woman thing. I don't know. <laughs> No, but um, obviously we, the photography that you, you you are where you are now. Um, but I would be silly if I didn't ask you about you know the podcasting stuff outside of photography because I'm interested. I've spoken to John. He a lot, lot love the man. He's brilliant. Um, so generous with his time. But for you, what was that like going into that opportunity? How did that impact you? Um, yeah, for a start, John's amazing. As I was doing a podcast with him yesterday. Was it yesterday, two days ago? And um, yeah, he's he's a laugh. Um, so basically when that opportunity came to me was in the summer of 2020 um and another friend of ours called Andy Andy J um he was um the one that kind of brought us all together and he said Amy I've got this idea to kind of do this podcast or maybe some videos and stuff like that and do you want to be involved and the first thing I thought was I am not good enough for you I don't know enough about cars I don't think I'd do a good job and that's literally what I said to him and he said no no no. you're a great personality you you know you'll, you'll be great at this and I had severe doubts. And then I was with my ex at the time who also said, why don't they ask me? They know I'd do a better job than you. And I was like, oh, that stings. And uh, so I was, so I went into it being like, I'm shit, sorry, I'm crap at this. And um, and I've been told that I'm, no, well, I think I am. And I've been told that I'm probably not great. So I kind of went into it feeling like, oh, well, we'll do it until I get kicked off and then we'll see how it goes. <laughs> so, um, but then- I mean, I struggle with the with the the kind of to camera stuff. I'm I'm okay at it, but it's not something I've ever I'm used to doing. 
the podcast stuff I find me much, much easier because all just how we are now, you just have conversation with somebody. And I'm quite good at conversations. I can't, I can't, I'm quite interested in people. You just have to chat with people. So although this podcast is mainly you chatting to me and me answering some questions, but it's the, the other way around as well. I'm quite, I love being the person that's like, oh, how'd you do this? What's that feel like? Do you, what's your relationship like with your mother? Like I, I, I go a bit in for the jugular sometimes, <laughs> but, um, but I, I like, I like that conversation aspect and finding out about people. Um, personally, I have like a, I have like an hour until my head starts to go a bit fuzzy. So um, sometimes if we do go to like an hour and a half, I start looking at John and I'm like, I'm running out of questions here, but we, we, we can kind of bounce off each other quite nicely. Um, and then, yeah, we've just got Miles involved as well. He's fantastic. As, and it's quite nice having three of you because you can, it's sometimes it's nice when you have like two people and a guest. When you have three people and a guest, that can sometimes be a little bit too overpowering because you don't quite, you, you're sitting in silence quite a while. Um, but yeah, when you're just having a conversation, just like you're in a pub having a chat, like that is the, the best way to do it. So it's, it's, been, it's opened my eyes to podcasting and the absolute joy of it, to listen to it, to, to do it. And I'd love to do what you're doing now and just be like, oh, let's start a podcast. But I don't know who I'd talk to or what I'd say. So I admire you. You're just like, ah, let's just have a chat. So well done. No, thank you. It's quite easy to, yeah, like I said, the reason I started this thing was quite selfish. I just, I wanted to be in the industry. I wanted to be in the industry, but I wanted to do it my way. And I think it's quite fun to just talk to people that have an amazing life, amazing experiences, and just kind of share that with people. Because like you say, it's it's fun living on this, you know, jet, yeah, I get to sit on couch on a chewed couch American now. um sofa on a Tuesday and you know that's that's life but it's like how did you how do you get to that point and like for instance like how do you build a McLaren how do you I don't know that's that's the kind of stuff that I want to know and it's quite nice to be able to you know it's a privilege to be able to have these chats and for people to give them me their time and, and like I'm like I said I've, I've not got I'm not I, I'm not I don't work for any OEMs I've got no standing on the industry I just kind of just like I'm interested I'm a petrol head and I'm interested and that was enough for me to go cool people let's have a chat because it's yeah it's fun uh, this is i enjoy this it's great fun and like i say after an hour i too get a bit fuzzy so we might we might have to we've been chatting for about an hour now i think yeah <laughs> we're getting we're getting to the yeah. end, end of our uh, mental uh, ability to yeah. ask questions so. <laughs> i'm lucky that i kind of i'm on autopilot half the time because there's a format there's a slight format to this which means i could just kind of glide through it <laughs> which is quite helpful for me to do actually. it's uh, nice for my uh, not ocd that's the wrong word for my adhd kind of just like where do I ask what because the beginning you could tell I just I'd start asking questions and one minute I go from how's your mum to why did you start a car company like there's a t- there's no there is there is no span or gap or flow to that it is your, your, your mum took you to autumn towers as a kid and you ride it in a car too I build cars for a living there's no there's no flow to it, but, <laughs> but that's yeah. good no it's fun yeah sometimes lack of flow is good because it's the thing no, that, that yeah. sparks ideas as well so uh yeah but you know goals are a funny thing and I, I like to I like to plan for the future and it's um something like I kind of just have this bank of goals and if I achieve them great if I don't they're there are you, how does that are you similar are there big shoots you want to plan do you have like a dream shoot in your head is there a certain car and a certain location or have you done it I'm interested in how that works for you and you know, that um I once saw a photograph of a 250 GTA Ferrari in a mountainous snowy scene and I thought that's wicked. So I think I would love to do some more snowy stuff with like 50s, 60s sports cars because you just don't see it. It's just not, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to be there. But I quite like the idea of even if I took like 
something just around you know if, if it snows in the in the uk and you just took out a an e-type or something just like i quite like that that difference of 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 you're not really meant to take out classic cars in the snow and i'd quite like to do a shoot like that i think um which would be really good fun but otherwise every kind of goal that I've achieved I had no idea it was a goal that I wanted to achieve it just kind of happened like for example as we we're saying earlier um being a Nikon ambassador if I knew it was a thing I might have had it as a goal but I never thought I'd do it so I probably would have not had it as a goal after all but the fact that I did it and I'm like oh my god I achieved so it wasn't necessarily like I don't really have set goals in my head especially when it comes down to my my job um it's more again it's what I've talked about for the whole of this podcast it's more about the having goals like life goals um so like i would really like to own a house i mean i I own a house at the minute but it's a long story and i rent it out and i'm gonna have to sell it but i'd like to be living in a house that i own (laughs) rather than just continually renting so rather than my kind of goal being i want to shoot a 250 gto a gto ferrari in a mountainous location um i'm like i'd much rather live in a house that i own <laughs> so it's a really boring grown-up answer um i think i suppose another weird one as is a new goal which i haven't even started yet but like my husband and i are probably going to want to have kids soon i'd like to be able to know that i can still have a child and not disappear off the face of the earth as i think a lot of women are forced to be out of their careers so to be able to still do my job with child and even bringing child with me like with bring my mom or something to help me out or or will or i don't know just to be able to still do the job and be like this is still possible i think that is going to be quite a nice goal to be able to achieve um obviously things are going to change dramatically but i mean maybe they won't no they obviously will but like i i don't know i've never had kids i don't know i don't know how people say it's madness so I, that's what i'm assuming but i think to be able to still do the job and still be able to have a family is a, is the next goal. Um, and I think as a woman, that's that's quite a hard one. Yeah, I, I feel you because oh, I, don't, I don't, but you know what I mean? Like I understand the, where you're coming from with like, you want a career, pursue your mm-hmm. career, but you don't want to have to like have the, the child be the reason you can't, you know, show your face in public or, because you know, that's how it used to be. You know, yeah. women would have a kid, they disappear, fill the face of the <laughs> planet for nine months, you get maternity pay and you, yeah, you go, you, you know, you're still living, but I guess when you're freelance, there's no maternity pay. Um, as well so you kind of you have to mm-hmm. keep doing yep. that and I, can, that can, I guess that can be quite you know, not scary but it can can it be scary is it scary I don't know I yeah no massively scary hugely scary like I've thought to myself you know if I ended up being pregnant like at, at the end of well no if say I was pregnant now I don't know if I am I don't think I am but like if I was I'd end up having a baby near enough around the Goodwood Revival that means I would because I haven't as you said maternity leave there is none so like I wasn't going to have to work basically until I pop. So if I have to do three days of revival at nine months pregnant, that is why I'm going to have to do. There is no option for me to be like, oh, I'm just going to take my maternity at eight months and then see in a year, guys. It's going to be like, right, I might go into labor at revival. Who knows? And then you end up in my head. I'm like, okay, I'll probably give myself three months off, but we can't afford to give any more off than that. That's it. I'm going to have to get back to work. So the already the goal is going to be forced upon me a little a little bit, I think. Um, but I quite like the challenge. And I also like the idea of bringing a child up in that environment as well. Um, because I think it would just be, uh, it'll make them a bit different, I think, to be, if you're being brought up where you're being taken to these 
you know, you're being taken to work by mum and dad because it's the only way that they can do it. Um, like we've said, you know, if, if I have to go on a shoot abroad for three days or something, the baby will be strapped to William as he's underneath an E-type trying to fix it, you know, or answer, you know, going off to see E-types and, and chat to customers. And so, and that is going to have to be how it goes. And I think that is a, that limitation of not having, again, we're talking about limitations, that limitation of not being able to have maternity leave or, um, you know, loads of childcare because we just, we probably couldn't afford it either. We couldn't, you know, the, the way that we live um, is going to change things for that child as well. And I think that could be a great experience for a kid growing up. Who knows? It might be a terrible one, but I'm hoping it's going to be great. So um, yeah, the goal, I suppose, is to be a successful enough parent while still being a successful enough photographer. <laughs> And I don't know if it's possible, but we'll find out. Oh, well, here's here's <laughs> the future, uh, as I like to say, you know, opportunities. But yeah, again, though, before we before we do get to the end, there was the you know the business that you and William did start, and I, I am interested in that as well. It's like a how, why and how, and tell me about it because I'm interested. Well, what what what, did, what was the conversation you had about it? How did it work? Like, yeah. So I will not that I'm plugging my own podcast or anything like that, but I will give you the the long and short story. The, the, sorry, the short story. But if you wanted to hear the long story, William and I did do a podcast together. Um, we but we'd only just started the workshop about for three months previously. So it, it is on the on the Driven Chat podcast. Um, and I can't remember what it's called. It's my Amy and William's E Type Adventure or something like that. Um, and that gives you a full like hour hour and a half chat of exactly why. But Long story short, Will was working with his family on like doing the same job as what he was doing now um, because he had, Will had brought customers from a basically a place that went bust. And his dad was like, hey, I'm a businessman. I'll front the money. You bring the customers and the skills. So that's how it started. Families don't always get on. And it was a very difficult, you know, they're, they're two very strong minded men. And so it was one, it got to the point where when I met William, I was like, hey, you're really sad. You are only 20, how old was he? 28 or something at the time, 29 and 28. And he was was not old. And then I was like, you've got the chance now to actually go and do something if you wanted to for yourself. Um, Because I I also can't see you coming back home every day really sad because you've had another argument. So, I was like, you've got two options. You can either go and do the easy route and go and get a job doing what you're doing now, working for somebody, or you can do the hard route and we do it ourselves. So I'll front you the money and you can start the job basically. And by this point, I'd known only known him, I don't know, a few months, not even that. By the time we got to our eight months was when we picked up the keys for our for the workshop. So it was a it was very much a, a very fast thing. And it was not an overly romantic thing. It wasn't a, oh my God, I love you so much. Take all my money. It was nothing like that. It was a, you're going to have a heart attack and die before you're 40 from stress unless you change something. Um, and if and then we were like, if we broke up, then we'll just work, work out a payment plan. It was very, it was very logical. And and it was, it was if it goes bust, then you know, it was my business that loaned the money. So I thought well, it's not going to be a personal hit. It'll be a business hit, which is, slightly different um and so I just thought well we'll see how it goes so um that was yeah month eight of dating and then three months later we hired our first um employee who is now our workshop manager um and we thought for the first year we would that those two would be doing the spannering and I'd be doing the admin 
by month six of the workshop, um, we were inundated with work. We were, we were overwhelmed with work. And at the same time, I was still doing my full-time photography because that's what kept a roof over our heads because we weren't paying William at all at the beginning. Um, and so between that and trying to do the workshop admin, which was now a massive company, um, and looking after our house as in just shopping, cleaning, the usual, because William was working 12, 16, 18 hour days to try and get it off the ground. Um, it was a lot. It was a, It was the hardest and most stressful thing I have ever, ever, ever done in my life. Like you wake up at five in the morning, you're both staring at each other like, are you stressed? I'm stressed. Are you stressed? Yeah. And so you just kind of, you, you, you've, so you're on survival mode for, for a long time. Um, and then, yeah, we ended up hiring uh, our workshop admin lady. who's fantastic. We love her. She's mum. And more people came to work with us. And suddenly you have a team and a workshop and customers. And now we have processes and actual check-in sheets and things that we did not have at the beginning. And it's just become something that's grown into something quite substantial. And like last year was that we turned over a million pounds and we're like, hmm, not bad for year two. So um, we're super chuffed with how it's going, but it's definitely still it will still work too many hours but i think you do when it's your own thing you just work all hours that you can because you really care about the thing working and i know exactly how it feels because that was the same for me when i was a photographer started out my photography business um but yeah it was it's nice because now i can just go to a beautiful workshop and be like huh i own this but i don't have to do anything so i don't (laughs) but no like will will come back every night and we'll have like a debrief of his day and it'll be like you know, he'll talk about customers that he's struggling. He'll, like, he'll say to me, how do I how do I manage this customer? And I will say it from one point of view and he'll argue another point and we'll come away and meet in the middle somewhere. Um, or, you know, if we've got any staffing issues or we're trying to you know, figure out how to market something. And there's a, we have a lot of conversations over the dinner table um, or on the long road trips that we have together. Like we're going to Scotland tomorrow. So we'll have a, well, I'm sure we'll have a, an eight hour work conversation, work meeting. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, it's it's been madness absolute madness um but it's working touch wood so yeah it's it's <laughs> we're we're still going and um yeah our customers seem to be happy um so yeah just kind of keep on keeping on yeah it must be nice for you to you know for him to come home and you see him you see him not as sad or very less less a lot less sad from from that as well and being able to give him that must be nice especially build, like building a relationship with that as well and starting a business it's crazy hugely yeah it's um like he's he used to come back very sad quite often now he just comes back angry or annoyed periodically quite often but you know nothing that's long lasting and also the relationship with his family mainly his dad is much better now as well now that they've separated they're two individual businessmen they can now converse like two individual businessmen rather than two businessmen trying to run the same business um which is the issue so that relationship's got better so so far it's a win-win there are five questions that I do like to ask in the podcast. And the first of those being, what is your ultimate three-car garage? Oh, man, that's so hard. Although, if you were to say it right, just, I, I think you should answer your question. For the only pub chat, make it a 10-car garage. It's a much harder question. But think about that and then come back to me. Three-car garage, uh, I think I have it. I think it probably, uh, ultimate, a 110 Defender, which I have. Um... Probably, if I had to have a modern car, I love the Alpine A110. As a modern vehicle, I think it's wicked. Um, and then if I had to have one proper classic, 
So I've got an off-road, a road, and then a classic. I probably would have, oh golly, this is such a hard one. It's a probably like a toss-up between a my MGB GT or like a Ferrari 275 GTB. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's I'm two ends of the spectrum. I can afford one of them. I can't afford the other one. So it depends on... Uh, I think where I would be financially. And at the minute I'm on the, the lower end of the finances. <laughs> so, an MGB GT, that's my, my three car garage, I think. So um, yeah, something off-road, something classic and fun on-road and then something modern that's wicked. I love the Alpines. I just think they're so fun to drive um, and look awesome. So yeah, there we are. I'm trying to do my shorter answers because as I said, I'm a waffler. <laughs> no, it's all good. I, I'm with you with the... The um the Alpine I, I love that I love that car especially I don't know why they offer mm-hmm. anyway it's like the uh, Lotus Amira I think there's you know they, they should only have one engine for those two cars and I think it'd be very interesting to see which one comes out on top but yeah. there we go um ne- the next one is you've one car to drive on any road or track but you can only do it once where would you go and what would you take oh golly again great question um. Well, this also partly, I wouldn't be a track. It wouldn't be a track at all because my joy is from the road tripping rather than the going fast. Um, my other, my colleague of John Marker would absolutely say the other way around. Uh, but I think it would have to be, um, oh, I don't, that's the other thing. My, my knowledge of roads is probably quite limited. The best road I've ever driven on, I love, and I will repeatedly go back, is the North Coast 500 in Scotland. Absolutely love it. I've done a few long kind of routes, but that one's the one that I will go to, bed dreaming about so um i did it in my, in my mini um i've done it on motorbikes a number of time times um yeah bikes bikes are great to do it on but probably you've got to have some you do have to have something classic that's not too low because the you know the road is quite rough in some places um so i probably would do it in some form of classic ferrari something yeah italian and beautiful which uh or but maybe that's wrong to take an italian car around the british roads because they're so nice uh no an e-type i'm gonna go just straight box standard e-type e-type ran north coast 500 a coupe e-type ran the north coast 500 that's what you would choose fantastic series one yeah yeah uh, great and amy um weirdly this I, I i don't know where this podcast sits sometimes whether it's a career podcast or it's just a you know just a life life <laughs> one but i do ask this because i'm interested in you know <laughs> what happens is that as, as as people do we are we following the right path do, are we following a passion like clearly you are but if I was to ask you, money is no object. You can do whatever you want for a living or work or that part of life, fulfilling a purpose. What would you do? Um, probably what I'm doing now. I think I absolutely would do what I'm doing now. Uh, the, I don't think there's any other... If I had to change my career for whatever reason, um, I have no idea what I would do. I might write. I quite like writing. I just don't think I'm very good at it. I enjoy it and I'm not good at it. Um, so yeah, I think I'd either pro, I, yeah, but also if you write, you're just st- again, stuck in front of a computer from nine to five, five days a week. So I, I, I like the, the actual action of being a photographer and getting out into the world and living. And I don't think there'd be many jobs that allow me to do that. I don't think I can do road trips for a living. Um, cause usually if you do, you've got to be taking your customers with you who are also doing the road trips and you have stress or something like that. So, um, no, I think I would do the exact same job that I'm doing now without shadow of a doubt <laughs> no, that's fantastic i mean that's that's clearly you know you clearly do what you love and that's you know all we can ask out of life isn't it really just to just to do the things we love mm-hmm. yeah um the next one i'm sure you get asked this all the time 
but I'm going to ask you it anyway because it's part five. What advice would you give to a young Amy just starting out? Oh, talking to baby me. Um, I think this is something that everybody should do as well, just to, to, to it's a quite an interesting, good therapy uh, question to do. Um, I would probably say, apart from the things of don't date that person, don't date that person or something like that, um, in terms of a career point of view, uh, probably just, it would literally be stick to your guns. Like do, do you, don't feel like you have to um, mold yourself into something that you don't truly feel like you are just to be have your work liked or have you liked or something like that because that's what I really thought I'd have to do especially with with car photography I thought I'd have to get into lots of photoshop and lighting and even now people are like oh do you use lighting and you know or why don't you use lighting and I'm like it's just not the way that I shoot and I will defend that because of my inspirations and who they were as photographers um, or are as photographers. And I'm like, well, they don't. So why should I? They didn't. They, you know, they did a great job. Why should I? Just because you you feel like I should. Nah, uh, you know, I'm not the right person for you to hire. So I think it's just having the self-confidence to stick to your guns. And if people don't want to hire you, you're not going to be, you're not going to fit every single right job for everybody. Um, it, it's something that a friend of mine's an architect and he once said to me that about design more than anything, but it works with so many things. Um, good design is where lots of people hate it because suddenly you're actually doing something different. The minute you design something where everybody loves it, it's just mediocre. It's vanilla. Nobody, you know, people like it, but it's not going to stand out from the crowd. The second you do something, you're like, God, what is that? Like, I'm not condoning this Nissan Duke or anything like that, but you can't deny it. It's like, hmm, interesting. (laughs) So, (laughs) you know, and uh, it's the same with with photography From, from my point. I'm like, I'm not going to, this is the, another reason probably why I don't get more commercial work. My work is not commercial in its um, shininess, shall we say. It's not shiny. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay with not being hired for those jobs. I'm not going to try and shiny myself up to something I don't feel I am to fit that box. So yeah, just the right people will find you and don't try and change the, what you're not, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I think there's a lot of stuff about, you know, not being everything to everyone. No, you can't be that. And then... There's another, there's another set. I'm full of quotes. Um, you you rather be liked by the 20% than liked by the 80%. So yeah, I think yeah. I completely agree with what you're saying. Yeah. Well, so I'd rather be someone's, I'd rather be somebody, someone's cup of whiskey than everyone's cup of tea or something like that. <laughs> I love that. That's brilliant. I will, I will keep that as a, as, as a quote. Um, Amy, the last one is, and I think it's, uh, it, it differs with different people, but um, what do you love most about cars? Ah, oh, this is a good question. This is one I've started to ask other people, actually. Um, for me, it is the the the, the act of freedom and ex- exploration in a, an aesthetically beautiful way. Um, I think it's the best way to describe it. So I have no interest, and I know this is bad, and I'm really I don't I actually got told once that I'm not a proper car person because I don't do this, but I am not interested in performance. I cannot bothered to see what's underneath the bonnet um does not interest me i'm like does it go yes no if it's a yes then i'm, I'm on <laughs> so if it goes and it looks beautiful and it's going to keep going then great we, we, we've got a plan um if it's like oh it goes really fast i'm like eh, the roads i want to go on you don't necessarily want to go fast you'll take off um so i think yeah it's um cars mean yeah 
just the, the ability to have aesthetically pleasing exploration and freedom um, is absolutely what everything they mean to me. Um, yeah, I I actually fall in love with my cars. So this is why the, if I have to get rid of the Mini, I will be truly, 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 truly heartbroken. Um, that's why I name, I name them all as well. So yeah, it just becomes... That's a slippery slope. You end up becoming... <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, one car I've got, I've got at the minute, I've got one of my other cars I've got is an XJS Jaguar, and I love that car so much. It's been one of my dream cars since I was seventeen. But the thing is, I always knew that it was it was never going to stay with me. It was always going to be a little, I say, investment piece. I don't think I've made any money on it whatsoever. But like, I knew I was going to have to. I'm, I've got I've got it to sell it at some point. It's just a thing to scratch the itch. So I've not named it, and I don't know. I feel a bit bad, but I just think if I name it, I'm never going to get rid of it. So. I adore that car. I'm so glad I've had it for a bit. But um, yeah, again, that need for the house is kind of strong. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, it's been a pleasure to chat. And I think there's hopefully someone that's listening to this that grows up and will be mentioned as a modern day Amy Shaw. So hopefully that happens. But um, but thank you for your time. It's It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed it. What did you think of this episode? For me, it reminded me even more of what life can be like for a woman in automotive space. I often forget I've been born with the gift of privilege in this modern world and everyone lives a very different life. But do you think things should be different and how? I'm interested in seeing what the photographers who listened to this episode thought. As we know, cars are a passion and an inspiration for millions. So what stops us seeing the true value in someone based on their gender? Anyway, with that being said, I'm Harry and this is the Ignition Podcast. Thank you so much for listening and don't forget to like, review and share this podcast with their petrol heads in your life.